complicated and fascinating world that invites us to dive deep into its intricacies. Exploring the ideas and events that excite, intrigue, irritate, and confound us is how we graduate our knowledge beyond meme culture. Join us over a cocktail as we expand our understanding and share in the beauty we find along the way. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And I'm Stephen Henning. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. When people talk about the classic college experience, like I never lived in a dorm. I didn't. Hell no, me neither. I never wanted to do that. I never went to a single party. Like I was taking like 20 credits a semester and working full time. Like I I never got invited to any parties. (laughs) So I would have (laughs) gone. I should have invited you to the ones I was getting invited to. Yeah. Because surprisingly I I get invited to shit like uh, that. Yeah. I was. Do I seem like a partier? I don't seem like a partier, uh, do I? No. But I get invited. Hopefully that's not insulting. That's the weird part. <laughs> no, I don't take that as an insult. Kat, when you first met me, did you did did I strike you as a college partier? <laughs> oh, like a raging wild man is what yeah. I Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Keg yeah. stands. That's definitely the drugs. vibe I present <laughs> online and otherwise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I have to say, I did have the quintessential dorm first year of college going away experience oh, yeah yeah absolutely and uh Worth i wasn't it. asked back so <laughs> you know. oh, that's right <laughs> Kicked out. Oh, shit. you know <laughs> lessons learned go, go to class mm. do turn things in that's important this is true this is true <laughs> if you're gonna be there <laughs> yeah yeah yes Yep, yep. Torna and I were all over the the higher level math courses. We were taking like Calc three and physics and proofs together. And then that's Calc happened. four. Did you ever take <laughs> differential equations? Nope, that's when I dropped out. Okay, I yeah. was supposed to take it next semester. Uh, I, I did like got I did like DiffEq, so that was cool. Married instead. I like that proof class. I feel like I grew as a human being trying to do mathematical proofs. That was hard work. Mm-hmm. Hard work. Yeah. But yeah, I never partied. But it sounds like you guys are partying tonight. What are you we what are we drinking tonight? We are <laughs> drinking some margaritas. Ooh. Nice. Oh, yeah. Frankly. Throw it back. It's been a uh, wild couple weeks. I'm behind on everything in my life. And uh last night I was going to be prepping for a whiskey bench and I got invited to go have dinner with some lovely friends. So I took the opportunity and I said, you know what? I'm going to wing it. And I thought, what's like more laid back and winging it than like sipping on some margaritas? Absolutely. Throw so, back some margaritas exactly. in the dead of winter. And honestly, it. it sounded refreshing. It was pretty sunny today and I was outside doing some work and I was like, you know what? This balmy outside <laughs> as I was shoveling Indeed. snow off of a roof. Indeed. Um, Beautiful like, 30 margaritas. degree blue, blue, blue skies. That's a, that's a heat yep. wave for the last few weeks, though. Uh, yeah. Heat wave. No, totally. So we are enjoying ourselves a traditional margarita. That is, I have it poured over ice. It's not blended. This is as pure as it gets. Mm-hmm. We have an ounce and a half of tequila, an ounce and a half of lime juice, and one ounce of some sort of orange liqueur, generally triple sec or uh, control. I didn't have either, so I used some dry curacao, which is an orange liqueur. However, I cut back slightly on the orange curacao and added some agave. 
Canada vibe with the agave and the tequila. And I love a spicy margarita, and I know Kat loves a spicy margarita. That's right. So I muddled like half of a jalapeno before I shook it. Ooh. And nice. then a little bit of salt on the rim, only a half, half garnish. And then I squeezed a lime, threw it in there, threw some jalapeno slices in there. <sighs> Muy bueno. Yeah. You know, how, you know how I always say no bueno? Si bueno. <laughs> si bueno. I don't think that's the turn of phrase, my friend. But definitely not. Well, I'll, but it I'll works. take it. <laughs> yeah, it si works bueno way. Si bueno way. Si. I learned a new Spanish word tonight. Absolutely. Yeah, throw these back. Throw these margs back with our with our buddy in Cancun, huh? Mm-hmm. No, we don't. We don't, our buddy. <laughs> we don't need to go down that road. No, we do not. Just, did you guys see my tweet, though? I felt I so did. freaking proud of that. I was proud of you. <laughs> I was I, like, good job, Henning. Maybe the Republican punny. Party can turn the lights on. Loved it. I was really proud. I was, I was really hoping one of you would notice. <laughs> uh, I did not, but I also haven't been on. Okay, I just got on Twitter. I got a new notification from Stephen Henning. Well, I got a bunch of notifications from Stephen Henning. Yeah, I go hard on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. It's true, I do. <laughs> and there are a lot. But so people were saying, uh, I somebody tried to come to the defense of Ted Cruz today, and they were saying, well, he's leaving Texas to decrease the demand on <laughs> the power grid. That was Dinesh D'Souza, who I used to really <laughs> respect and admire. He's... Yeah. Well, that's a discussion for another day. But yeah, that was Dinesh so somebody, who said yeah. that. Hmm. So he throws that out and like legitimately trying to defend the Texas senator leaving Texas in the middle of their rolling blackouts, which I don't I I have no commentary on whether I, like he can actually do anything about it. But I I just love this concept of like, yeah, this one guy is doing his part by leaving Texas and like the people in Texas <laughs> was who can't, this not was this not a joke. No, it was yeah, no, he was legitimately uh, trying to defend him by saying he's was, doing his part to like decrease demand on the power grid. And my first thought was like, is his house that fucking big? Like, how much? <laughs> what kind of power suck is he creating on the Texas yeah, grid? Yeah, I think I, that then, was just an attempt to like fight back at yeah left yeah. Twitter who was going crazy over over, tech over the whole thing yeah that's true which i, I have mean, to say i find any, it i think these are those like stupid petty little political squabbles that we constantly have that aren't important and distract from important things and i have well, and i do yeah. think it's rather like telling that twitter is or that ted cruz was trending on twitter today meanwhile we're realizing and one of his aides admitted that andrew cuomo his policy of having elderly people taken from hospital and put directly back into nursing homes probably led to twice as many deaths from covid than they reported and they're doing a, an fbi probe yeah, yeah because the whole and one of his aides admitted like we fudged the numbers because we didn't want to spark an investigation and we knew trump would use this against us that's mm -hmm. literally what she said on a zoom right. call that was recorded yeah so like that's not trending, <laughs> but you know, oh, what we're going to freak it's, out about Ted Cruz, okay. which like maybe it was in poor taste, but like who gives a fuck, you know? But like, we anyway. have, we have yeah. obsessions with the people because they become figureheads. Like we need a scapegoat for the party we hate the most. Right. right. So like, mm -hmm. right. and Ted Cruz to his credit, maybe, uh, just as a branding move, like 
he recognized that the right kind of had a void to fill to be the counterbalance to AOC. So now it's like AOC, Ted Cruz all the time on Twitter, mm-hmm. I right. feel like. Um, but anyway, my 4D chess tweet was that Ted Cruz is a a power suck on the political power grid. Mm-hmm. And maybe he should just stay there so that the Republican Party can turn the lights on again. <laughs> Boom. That, that feels really <laughs> solid to me. I... Yeah, yeah. That one needs like explanation, but if you're in on it, you see how good it is. This is why I love Twitter because you can just come up with that shit and just like throw it out there and see what happens. It's fun. I got to sing the praises of my whiskey tonight. I'm on the smokiest of smoky uh, uh, Scotch whiskeys. I'm on Lefroig Ten tonight once again uh. because um, yeah, my wife and I are trying to like buy a house and stuff right now mm-hmm. and. <laughs> It's hey, really hard to justify. You've got liquor on the shelf. Exactly. Drink it. Mm-hmm. But soon, soon the Lagavulin will be back. And all but will be right with the world. <laughs> in the meantime, hey, I'm not saying anything is wrong with the world with Lefroig <laughs> 10 on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Right? But, yeah. Well, no, you I, know, it, it, when you guys end up getting a house and I come and see it, I always bring someone a housewarming gift and... You know, we'll see what it might end up being. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. That sounds great to me. Fam, we're mm-hmm. looking at three houses tomorrow. And Ooh, that's, that's exciting. exciting. It's just a whole process. And like we've seen a couple houses now. And the process didn't feel real until you actually walk in to one with the realtor. And you're like, holy shit, I'm about to buy one of these with mm-hmm. money. It's weird. It's a weird feeling. <sighs> that so makes me jealous. That's Here's what we're a, working on. I I would love to get a house here in Bozeman. Um, this is what I'm dealing with in Bozeman right now, the market. Uh, I'm working for some clients right now that put their house on the market, and in two days it's sold. Yep. They had five offers. The person that ended up getting it purchased it in cash, sight unseen. Yep. He wrote an ex, uh, escalation clause stating that whoever had the highest bid he would pay 125,000 more than them. Fuck. That's a lot of, that's a lot more. Wow. That is an inflated market is what you have. It is his vacation home. Oh my gosh. And I think it was, I think on market it was like 1.6 million. So he might've paid, I I don't know how much other people were bidding it up. I mean, he could have been close to 2 million by the time he got it. Right. That's pretty, that's really intense. That's why I'm like not, I'm very wary of getting of buying here in Bozeman. Yeah, right chill now. a little while, see if things. Yeah. Or to be honest, on. look at Belgrade, fam. Like you're so close. You're oh, so I know. Close in but Belgrade. the thing is, is the market's not now. Even if you go as far as Three Forks, which for anyone that might be, not be familiar, about a forty minute drive from Bozeman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like spec houses are going for like close to six hundred thousand. That right. way, they have a little more acreage. Wow, to be fair. Wow. Um, but. What about Livingston? But we Other do side know. Of the pass. What's Livingston like? Uh, better for sure. Better, yeah. but that market's also. Mm-hmm. I've got friends out there who are well probably going to get priced out quickly. And the nature of that valley, yeah, that's they're actually at the mouth a sad of situation. Valley, that's true. Yeah, because like Paradise Valley, I think just geographically, like it's not going to turn into another hub in the way that Bozeman is. I don't. I think the growth is going to be much different, and yep. I think. It's literally just going to be all these beautiful old ranches are going to be 
yeah. subdivided into little ranchettes and they will all probably be vacation homes mm-hmm. and that'll change the nature and like the culture and the community there, but it'll also like severely impact migration corridors that mm. through the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. That's a super important part of that migration. Yeah. Mm. And it's already a really broken, you know, migratory path due to like how Yellowstone was created, where it's at. And yeah, how there's it's already really limited the, yeah. the the historical, the I guess it would be the, the natural history of of the animals previously before we were here. It was like elk and buffalo would come all the way down into the valley, into the plains. Um yeah. and now like buffalo herds are all stuck in the park. And that's why you see like, you know, traditionally, a couple hundred years ago, they weren't really the buffalo weren't having to dig through six feet of snow all winter because they would just come out because the they valley. migrate yeah. right and, and so, the, the elk still do migrate they spend they do. up to 80 percent of their time yes. on private ranch lands in mm-hmm. paradise valley and other valleys like that in the winter what people don't realize but, is elk uh they are quite the mountain climbers their their migratory pathways sometimes go over mountains they'll be on cliff yeah. sides they'll be they're they're quite nimble actually mm-hmm. so people don't really perceive that but yeah. Same thing with grizzly bears, things like that. Like you will see them in really weird places. And you know, yeah. I thought only mountain goats would hang out in this kind of terrain, but no, they will, they will <laughs> they climb. take some crazy paths. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, the threat of development is, mm-hmm. especially out here is, um, it impacts a lot more than just housing prices, mm-hmm. but I want to find the next Bozeman. That's what I've been thinking about. it's like, and and also, again, I think because of sort of the geography of this area, like we kind of can predict where the growth is going to happen because I feel like it's all being channeled in one direction from Bozeman, yeah. like mm-hmm. what, west? Mm-hmm. And I bet Butte. So just start a little farther out, right? Butte could be the next Bozeman. Yeah. So I'm all for it. It's a thought. This is true. Either Either that or like wait for more of an explosion of like South Flathead. They're like Polson and Big Fork and like those towns down there. Yep. I've I've definitely thought about that. It's a beautiful area. You I know, I used to there. always, I mean, growing up, I was like, oh, I want to live in Whitefish. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, it's too expensive. And I was Yeah, see, that's like, the thing. Whitefish and Kalispell. It's not even as expensive as Bozeman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, but Whitefish and Kalispell already have like the north side of Flathead. I'm saying South Flathead right there. Right. Exactly. I mean, Polson's beautiful. Swan Lake area. Totally is. The big thing is I, I'm looking for property that would be for rentals and VRBO and things like that. And yeah, the whole, I mean, flathead areas primo for that skiing winter stuff. I mean, it's all, it's all a possibility. I'm trying to get in on this with Torna. I'm trying to sell them on the idea of us going we'll fi- in together we'll on a rental out. property. <laughs> I just, I, I, I just Whoa. want to do business with my friends, like the friends that I trust. Like I want to do business with them because Seems like a good way to do it. So mm-hmm. carefully with friends is the caveat that like I've I've seen yeah. so many partnerships bloom from people like from best friends going into business. And then years later, they there's like there's a big thing or a falling out. And now they don't speak to each other. And the partnership mm-hmm. is like ripped in two. And yeah, it can get ugly pretty quick. So you got to be ready. You got to like make sure you value the the relationship over the business more than the money like, you just got to be ready for it you know yeah like oh yeah 
hey, if if at any point we're threatening like the integrity of our relationship and like the trust between us, let's talk about one of us dipping out like before things get really ugly. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing. I'm I'm terrified of partnerships. So like even like starting Highline Network and talking with you guys and talking with uh, Alex Falcongrove of um, the Into Podcast, which by the way is publishing episodes again to mm. uh, round out their season one. Anyway, I was talking to him and he was like, yeah, I'm not interested in a partnership at all. Like it's an LLC in Steven's <laughs> name. It's your thing. I'll help you build it. I'll help you grow it. But I, I will not. <laughs> I will not put my name on the same documents as you ju- just mm. for the fact that we value the friendship enough to be like, know where to put the boundaries you know yeah i guess i've just again i'm my opinion is skewed on so many things because i've seen so many great businesses that stem out of a friendship being the foundation of it or even with family and things like that no and that's so totally gotta, true i mean like your roommate got a really positive <laughs> perspective of it yeah Maybe naively so, but I'm like, nah, I'm into it. I would much rather work with someone that I know and trust than anything might, else. But yes, it might with depend anything, on the business like, too. It's like, true. Depends the on the business. Or, yeah. With finances and money, like, there's a reason why that's such a big destroyer of marriages. That translates to mm-hmm. family, friendships. I mean, some of the nastiest family interactions you'll ever see is over money. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's true. I understand that that is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Money is a big deal. Money is God. a big deal. Is a big deal. <laughs> Look at you go. You goddamn professional. <laughs> we here with are the going to be talking <laughs> money tonight. Money, 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 money. We're gonna fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. So one point nine trillion dollar COVID relief bills. Mm-hmm. Bada boom, bada bang. Bam. However, before we dive into this, <laughs> I want to real quick just mention everything that's going on in Texas right now. And across the United States. <laughs> Real quick, that's a very no, complicated I know, but, story. But how interesting is it that a week ago, last week, we were specifically talking about how we need to be working on the Great, power grid great infrastructure, yeah. in the United States, and then this happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, part of Texas's problem is, one, they didn't weatherize their grid properly. Right. Two, they aren't plugged in to like a national grid system. So they mm-hmm. can't get power from other Correct. places when they need it. And they were pretty proud of that fact. Like they were like, yeah, we're yeah, independent. Look at us go. Yeah. Lone Star they, State. Get mm-hmm. after it. I think it. they saw benefits for that. But then obviously this freak weather event made them probably reconsider that. Yeah. Yes. So I've seen a lot of it's. Yeah. It's been interesting to see both sides attacking each other and being like, Fossil fuels is what saved us. And then the other side's like, this is why we need the Green New Deal. And I'm like, well, okay. Green energy failed Texas. And fossil fuels were failing. Yeah. So this both was- of them, there, there's something wrong with both of them. So maybe there's an alternative. Well, again, I think ultimately, if you really want to simplify it, it can boil down to this was an extreme in rare weather 100%. event that it's, likely won't happen again yes. anytime soon despite what climate alarmists are trying to finagle it into mm-hmm. being and you know I, I think certainly weatherizing their grid is something that should happen I think certainly like they should probably consider plugging into a national grid 
those are reasonable things mm-hmm. and like there's not yet yeah. everything freezing to there's that not, degree there's to, not the point. really a good argument for either side to attack no one another not. right it really was a kind of freak deal and then you know like you said climate alarmists and things like that they're like oh it's it's really cold there because of global warming but texas is also really used to heat so the grid can handle heat you know 100 degrees yeah. i think they get like over 100 days a year that are over 100 in, in many parts of texas like the grid is capable of the extreme in the opposite direction and so like you're saying it really is i mean some wildly cold temperatures like i, I was looking at it like texas is further south than a lot of mexico yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, so it's yeah, like, it's, it's like it's very freakishly weird. So there's, I mean, there's been a cold front moving mm-hmm. across the world. Right. At this point, Saudi Arabia saw snow, and it was the first time in, well, they it snowed in the Saudi Arabian desert in like 2016, mm-hmm. but it hadn't snowed since. It was like the first time in 50 years, basically. Right. So I mean, these are pretty wild. Weather shouldn't be weaponized. That's my opinion. You know, it's like, yeah, we know that like green energy, i.e. wind and solar are mm-hmm. not power dense enough and therefore they need to have baseload energy sources like mm-hmm. natural gas or coal or nuclear to supplement which, them. Which, like we That's said, the fossil like fuel were evil starting, even starting to fail. And exactly. then on top of that, yeah. the, some of the nuclear that they do have, some of that even had to be shut down because the liquid cooling water was freezing water was freezing yeah, so exactly. there's there's this is like a really good case study to to be able to look at and actually really think about some alternatives and then for me it's always nuclear but then it points out flaws in nuclear like okay then what do you need to do then to make sure that you have water cooling these plants so if you do get another freak storm you're set like yeah so i think it'll bring up a lot of good discussion there was one point made that some of the um and i can't pretend to fully understand how this works but that the the mechanisms operating the natural gas like refineries were are electrically powered and they used to be powered by by natural gas and now they're electric and i guess like that mechanism failed as well because of the mm. low temperatures anyway but again i also think like yeah this points out weaknesses and some are more glaring than others but i think some are like i don't think this is an yeah. argument to abandon nuclear because there no, might be a free occurrence i do think know. however it is important to make sure that the grid is capable of handling those freak once in a hundred years kind of storms because correct me if I'm incorrect. That's basically what happened with Katrina. Like, and then it's also happened in Holland and things like that. Like they've got these levees and all sorts of stuff like that, that weren't engineered up to a standard for that freakish hundred year kind of storm. And then when it hits, everything fails. So yeah, you should be prepared for the worst, even if it costs a little bit, of extra money and time. Be prepared. Don't be a prepper. Well, yeah. Be a prepper. When it comes to like your grid and infrastructure, be a prepper. <laughs> what do you... We're using the word freak a lot. And I'm... Man. 
<laughs> um, so like the the fact that this storm is precedent breaking, and then in mm-hmm. other times of the same year, we can talk about like record breaking, uh, wildfires in certain places and record breaking hurricanes also hitting. Like, where's the line between taking a shift in climate seriously and being a climate alarmist? <laughs> this is going to really derail our conversation, but oh, just give um, me five, ten minutes. We'll we'll yeah, get yeah. to we'll get to COVID relief. I think if you look at like long term trends, and even the IPCC in their like most recent reports have stated this, um, there there is no direct connection between the observed anthropogenic climate change and more quote-unquote extreme weather events and if you look at long-term trends of like death and costs associated with natural disasters like hurricanes Mm -hmm. they have vastly decreased in recent years and in the last few decades as part of like emergency response and just infrastructure right like yeah infrastructure yeah death you know yeah for sure um and and in and also frequency too. So that to me that talking point stems from an alarmist perspective. So you would say the same thing about the the wildfires because like California's deforestation or lack of that policy like has set them up to just be a tinderbox waiting to blow or Forest management plays a huge role yeah, in why mm-hmm, sure. wildfires have been burning hotter. Well, yeah, and their own and their own grid failures as well. Well, yeah, and their grid failures for <laughs> sure is a right. huge part of the fact that that is, I think, a case study where you can look at that and say they were relying and trying to force wind and solar to be a substantial portion of their energy supply. And, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, that's unrelated to wildfires, but like, and it failed during a massive heat wave when demand surge, it couldn't yes. provide the supply necessary. And they ended up having to import coal power from, I want to say, I want to say Utah. I might be wrong about which state they imported it from. Mm. So anyways, because renewables aren't power dense and therefore they not, they don't produce energy consistently and you can't really reserve it. So you have to have some kind of base load energy to sort of cover wind wind and solar have gaps in mm-hmm. their production basically right so we we think like nothing like this will happen in texas for another 100 years but give it until the 2100s well i don't know if i want to throw an exact time frame because well, i haven't i, know, I haven't looked at like me the, you know but yeah i don't right. i think it, but yes i think it was a rare weather event and i don't think that that is the norm or will be sure right exactly and it might be maybe it'll happen 10 years from now and then it won't happen again for 30 years and i mean weather is different than climate mm-hmm. like that's an important thing to keep in mind that's a short-term long-term difference as i understand it correct yeah okay yeah absolutely sure. and they're like determined by different like a myriad of different factors so and I, and I think it's just, again, like 
basically partisan politics when people on Twitter hop on any either side of the aisle. You know, if they want to say like what happened, what's happening in Texas is the reason why we can't pursue renewable energy like wind and solar i think there's other arguments to be made for that but like as torna pointed out yeah, it's not a good argument well yeah you know natural gas plants were also being shut down because of the low temperature so like that doesn't make any sense right mm-hmm. and and then on the other side i think it's it's obnoxious when people say like well this is you get this kind of weather because we drive cars and we eat meat you know it's like well i don't think there's a direct connection there either <laughs> yeah, you know right. it's it's so yeah it causes my eyebrows to raise when when both parties can claim that this event proves their thing right you're like wait totally both are true that seems weird but you're opposed right that's where it gets confusing all right if you like what you're hearing the best way to tell us about it would be on apple podcasts or on facebook.com slash whiskey binge pod for android users There you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review to help others find the show. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. 1.9 trillion. (laughs) Yes. That's what we wanted to discuss this night is COVID relief. What's the verdict right now with with COVID relief? Because... Uh, we want to talk about $15 an hour minimum wage. I'm a little bit behind on keeping up with stuff like the last four days. I just saw mention that maybe that's not going to get pushed into COVID stuff, the $15 minimum. Uh, as far as I know, they're still... They um, are still. The get- Democrats are still trying to uh, make a case for it to... To be a part of the package and for the package to be passed through recon- budget reconciliation mm, process. Okay. Which we had mentioned a little bit last time. But And uh, let's see. As of an hour ago, CNBC says that the House aims to vote on COVID relief by the end of next week. Wonder what they've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. They had said they wanted to push it until right. March. That, oh, that's right. They did we're, say they were going to do getting that. getting up on, we're so, getting close to that deadline, Good on them. They still so. got time. Good on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that feels like some of that maneuvering, like pull it all the way to the deadline so that if you miss the deadline, each party can blame the other one for being like the stick in the mud. Oh, that is the name of the right? game in Congress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so frustrating. Like, look yeah. at look at these like hard Republicans just not playing ball. How dare That's they? That's Pelosi's like main play from her playbook mm-hmm. <laughs> is to drag things out. And yeah, play. that was a McConnell thing last session, though, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, they both do it. Yeah. It's you know the nature of the beast, I suppose. It's typical at this point. What? But yeah, so whether or not the fifteen dollar minimum wage is included is will ultimately depend on what the Senate parliamentarian decides and. If they're if they can be convinced that a fifteen dollar minimum wage has anything to do with budgets, mm-hmm. then it will be included. But conventional wisdom says it does not, and the Senate parliamentarian will likely not go along with that. And so it probably won't be included. Great. But that will not end the push for the quote-unquote fight for 15. I don't mind them 
pushing it. I don't mind them debating it. I just hate when things get shoved into other bills, which I know is just how everything is. Yeah. But I'm like, just do your job and yeah, I heard present it. Present another bill and <laughs> I heard it referred to as a Christmas tree bill. So like, basically, like if you know you can pass the thing with your own majority, your own party majorities through both houses and get it to the president's desk. Mm-hmm. who also belongs to your party like it's a christmas tree bill so then you just hang all sorts of ornaments right on top there and just and just push it through until you run into like parliamentary issues to get the thing yes through. but so yeah let's yep. do we want to talk about some christmas ornaments sure kind of what's in there yeah we'll totally. hang it on that beautiful 1.9 trillion dollar tree mm-hmm. big ass tree is what yeah. it is it's, it's a big tree yeah that would be an additional $1,400, they call it stimulus mm-hmm. checks. I have a hard time just even saying that because I don't think it stimulates <laughs> anything. But sure. um, stimulus checks, uh, they will renew and increase the continued, basically, extra federal unemployment benefits that people will receive on top of their state unemployment benefits. Okay. Um, this particular package is pushing for... $400 more on t- like a week on top of the mm-hmm. state payment, the $15 minimum wage. This was a sticking point with Republicans, $315 billion for local, state, and tribal governments. I did see that. Which mm. that one has been contentious and they've been debating about this with every package, but because it's large, it's argued that that's largely just a bailout for fiscally irresponsible blue states like Mm. California and Illinois, which I tend to think why the hell should people in Montana or elsewhere have to pay for irresponsible politicians in Chicago that have like run their state into the ground, but whatever. And you said that was 850 billion for Indian 350 billion, 350 billion for local state and tribal governments and tribal government. It'd be interesting Mm. to see, um, how much went to tribal government and then it, what went to tribal government, what is going into public health? Because there's a whole separate it, thing okay. for public. Yeah. Because in, in Montana, Crow Indian Reservation is getting hit pretty hard with COVID. And mm. I could understand some sort of public health need there. And I'm sure elsewhere. But it'd be just interesting to see if it's actually being allocated for public health. That sure doesn't seem like that's for public health. Well, yeah, I think the the biggest frustration with this bill is that it's so big and it's not very targeted. Not every single man, woman, and child needs mm-hmm. a $1,400 check. You know, largely, there's a ton of people whose jobs, like myself, have not been disrupted throughout yep. this whole thing. I've saved every stimulus check I've gotten. You look at, like, let's see, the... The pent-up savings in the United States right now is sort of, like, absolutely wild. Yeah, at the close of 2020, and it's higher now, U.S. personal savings was at a rate of 13.7%. That's very high. Mm. So, like, which is one of the economic indicators that suggests we don't even need 
another round of, again, quote unquote, stimulus money to do anything for the economy or, or, other than we right, need to not for the economy. The and economy. If we were going to do that, it needs to be incredibly targeted. Right. Yeah, I understand that. I did see something with with COVID relief I'm trying to confirm this. But thirty five million dollars for Howard University. Which. Kamala is a alumni of. Uh, this next package would have sixty billion in COVID relief for K through twelve schools. Oh no, excuse me. Last year, K through twelve received sixty eight mm-hmm. billion. They've only spent four billion, and this new bill is proposing to send another hundred and thirty billion. And I think that hundred and thirty billion includes K through twelve and higher education as well. Mm-hmm. Whether they're open or not. Whether they're actually like <laughs> using the money to help get kids in classrooms. Uh, I have noted here different sections of of the stimulus. We've got section two hundred five. This is different, but it's for the Bureau of Indian Education. Eight hundred and fifty million for grants to Bureau of Indian Education operated and funded elementary and secondary schools, as well as tribal colleges and universities. What else do we have here? Section 2007, Student Aid Administration, $91 million for Student Aid Administration, the Department of Education, to prevent and prepare for and respond to coronavirus. We've got $35 million to Howard University. We've got $20 million, nope, sorry, $19,250,000 to the National Technical Institute for the Deaf. 19 million. 19 million. Yeah. We've got 100 million for the Institute of Education Sciences to study learning loss. I think, like, those are giant price tags. Yes. And all of these groups have received millions and or billions Mm -hmm. with the several previous rounds of funding. Like I had just mentioned, like sixty-eight billion has already gone to K through twelve, and they've only spent four billion, and now they're going to get another, well, a portion of another hundred and thirty billion. Mm-hmm. Like, is this necessary? Could any of the argument be that, like, there's obviously a surplus sitting around somewhere? Could any of the argument be that when things open up and like? we're back to school full time, like then that money would be available and we really like kickstart things or things like uh, kind of bloom into a, into the new time, the after time of COVID. Yes. But I guess my qualm with that and my, and my push or my encouragement for, for people is to think about what we've been listing off and the price tags on those. Mm-hmm. And, try and understand that both Republicans and Democrats are constantly saying, oh, you know, because of coronavirus, we're in such this like drastic thing and there's poor people that need aid, yada, yada, yada. But then you have all of these random things, money going to places, to schools, schools, I mean, teachers don't even want to open schools. I say that generally. Some teachers want to open schools. Mm-hmm. Teachers unions don't want to open schools. Teachers unions don't want to open school. You've Not got $5 million dollars going to the office of the inspector general. Like all of this money being pumped into things that 
aren't really helping the financially struggling people in America. Mm. No, the the thing that could help the sector that's been hit hardest mm-hmm. by not necessarily COVID, but our response to COVID would be just opening, allowing businesses to open. That is probably the best thing that we could do for like low skilled, low income workers that mm-hmm. have been impacted by this. Right. Like that's and if and you look at economic indicators, the economy is like rearing and ready to go. And I think as soon as we open that door, there's gonna be a flood of productivity and wealth creation in curing a massive amount of debt after we've already incurred massive amounts of debt will do more long term damage than than good. There might be a short term benefit to to some folks who actually need it and certainly loads of money wasted on people who don't need it like us all of us are working and we would all get fourteen hundred dollars with this Mm -hmm. plan Mm -hmm. there's just there's a huge cost and it should be considered and you know like our conversation last week this stuff this isn't free (laughs) what are the long-term dangers that we're forecasting then basically like the money that the government spends has a short-term consumption benefit, but a long-term growth cost. And so whenever that 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 money that is being flooded into the economy by way of the government spending it, that's money that's being taken out of basically the private economy that was investment capital, which no longer can be used to invest in businesses or ventures or individuals which that type of investment actually creates like creates wealth Mm -hmm. and instead we're getting this one-time dump Mm -hmm. that has no impact beyond that one consumption and we're foregoing the longer term like actual growth and of wealth and prosperity that would come from that money being privately invested sure what could, what could I be missing then? Because I'm thinking of two examples. Uh, first example, we mentioned last week, like uh, the the equipment you guys are recording on right now was paid for by mm-hmm. the CARES Act, right, Torna? So like, right. So, I mean, like who knows what kind of wealth creation that generated? Like give Whiskey Bench a few years, you know? <laughs> we'll start reading ads and start making money. Like that, it's a possibility that that happens, which to me sounds like, some of that that you're that you're worried we would lose the other side of things is you're right like i haven't needed the the direct payments that we've gotten thus far but i can sure as hell tell you it looks it makes my down payment for a house that i'm about to buy look a lot sweeter and again that's like an investment into that property that is going to contribute to like my growing wealth as I enter my thirties and whatnot, like I actually truly think that our perspective is so skewed because we are truly, I think in the, how do I phrase this correctly? Viewing the demographics across all the United States, we are an outlier and that we have a mindset that is attuned with creating wealth and finding success and investing in ourselves. And I truly think that is the like super minority. So what do you, what do you think the other people perspective. are doing? The people that really need it, I actually think are 
basically not being allowed to work and actually like just need it to pay rent. Well, and to what you're to what both of you are saying, there is that short term consumption benefit. Mm-hmm. Torna buys microphones for right. the podcast. Somebody uses it to pay their rent. Henning, you use it to help make a down payment on a home. But that's like that's a one time purchase of something. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so okay. and like the modeling suggests like people have been, you know, running the numbers and trying to make a prediction of sort of the impact that the spending will have. And there's expected to be a short term like uptick in GDP in the in the short term. Mm-hmm. But then over the long term, the burden of that debt suppresses GDP and suppresses growth. And that is a cost that's born, that's diffused across the population, and it's borne by everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and we won't feel those effects until and how long? We, we don't know. We potentially feel because, them. Some people are projecting for the next like decade. Right, but the lower, thing is, is when you look uh, at growth. since, what, even like 2008, like we see trends where the market is looking to dip or a recession should occur. And all these stimulus packages over the last 20 years or whatever, or 10 years, I guess a decade, like they're basically just making the problem worse for when something happens. So I think that's, that's the big issue that I'm seeing with it is we'll probably, it'll probably end up, like you said, there'll be an uptick, right? Okay. We'll stay afloat. And then what? We'll just have to keep pumping money. That's, I mean, I just doesn't seem sustainable. Well, no, it's not. That's the problem. We're just building, we're filling up the water balloon more and more and more and more. And at some point it's going to burst. And like the more full it is, the more water damage it's going to, you know, cause to what's below it. And, and I think that there's like, obviously an argument to be made that like certain folks absolutely do need additional help right now. And again, you know, I think that if we, allowed folks to open and make their own assess risk on their own and make their own decisions. That would probably be the best thing that could happen. But if we aren't going to do that, then yeah, there are certain groups that certainly need additional financial support. And frankly, I think like the economic crisis is in large part a government created crisis. And Mm -hmm. I do think they actually bear responsibility for that and therefore <laughs> should compensate the people that they fix it yeah, right yeah sure but that doesn't mean all of the special interests that you listed off dorna mm-hmm. should get billions of dollars right? right that doesn't mean that like public k-8 schools that in large numbers are refusing to open who have what would the difference be they've only spent four and they got 68 billion like they don't need tens of billions of dollars more, right? Like, why are we spending that money? Right. And shifting slightly away from, like, the economic impact, looking at other, like, further issues that might come down the road, when you throw in all of these extra massive price tags and start just handing money out to different departments and things like that, you're not getting to the root of dysfunction that is already in those branches. So with education, we know that so much of the funding is going for administration fees and things like that and being wasted. So if you give $850 million or whatever, billions of dollars to the school to use later, 
That's not getting to the issue that once they use it, 70% of it is just going to be wasted to administration, right? The school's still going to be, you know, you're still going to hear stories of teachers having to pay for school supplies out of their own pocket and, and things like that, right? So that's why I don't like these things getting pushed in. Like a school bill for funding should be its own thing and it should be split up, you know, into exactly where the money's going. Because right now, I, I don't know what happens when, when Department of Education gets a billion dollars. Then some other bureaucratic system is then distributing the funds. Like, it's just, it's just weird. Like, well, people, I value the money that I have. I hope that you value the money that you have. And if you're wise about your money and your budgeting and you, and you see your expenses, it's really worrying for me when I, when I see an expense and I don't know where that came from. Like at the end of the month, I'm looking and I see some weird expense like, oh, man, there's some money missing. Like, where is this going? Like you should value the money that you're paying into taxes and you should value where that's going and how it's being used. I have no issue with taxes being used for the American people. Like I pay my taxes. I hope that I receive something from it and I hope that other Montanans receive something from it. That's okay. I see value in that. I'm paying for it. You're paying for it. You should really be considerate and, and seriously value where that's going. And I think these big bills like this are kind of a slap in the face of the taxpayer, pretty much showing that, you know, we don't, we don't really care where it's going. We're just going to kind of hand it out and then let other people deal with it. It's a slush fund for special interests. Yeah. That's what's obnoxious. It's not targeted. It's not tailored to the people who actually need it. And really it's buying political favors is mm -hmm. what it is and and that i think also is completely indicative of a 15 dollar federal minimum wage it's mm -hmm. political posturing it sounds it makes a good fight for 15 it's a good you know campaign slogan and it will hurt the very people it's meant to help and it'll be I mean, it'll the the wake of damage <laughs> that will flow behind it is is immense. Um, yeah, that is, yeah. I, I think this is a, that's a good segue to kind of start discussing that. So um, is that inflation is the Henry? main concern for fight for fifteen? No, it it no. makes labor so expensive that people either don't oh, hire. Yeah, it raises the folks, floor. Right. They cut, yeah. Yeah, they cut their hours, okay. so yep. people might be making more per hour, but they're working less, so their income is ultimately less. Mm -hmm. Or it incentivizes, and this is what, if this really happens, which we'll see, what I think it'll do in our modern age, it'll incentivize companies to automate at a greater pace than they right. already are, mm -hmm. which will yes. just mean that there are less jobs available sure. for mm -hmm. human beings. Yeah. And so with the $15 an hour minimum, I, I truly do... I shouldn't say I surely do. I've been really trying to understand the proponents of it. Like, and, and I think I'm kind of getting a grasp on it, right? There is an element of compassion to it. And okay, $15 an hour. Okay. Yeah, I can kind of understand why you would want to fight for that. But when I really think about it and, and I try to see what that results in, one, like you said, I think it will result in more automation. And two... The idea that is is that it's going to help the the lowest earners. The problem with that is a fifteen dollar an hour minimum only benefits the people that were being paid less, 
but are capable and are worth fifteen dollars an hour. And that is not to say that a human being's worth is fifteen dollars an hour, right? But there's a distinction there, right? Someone's well, it's about productivity. It's not about their like can be, personal. Right. And that's one of the counter arguments is like you don't think a person's worth fifteen dollars an hour, like n- their va- their productivity might not be. Sorry. Well, and the other thing too, which is important to consider with this, because it's a federal fifteen dollar minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And this is indicative of the entire COVID package and kind of everything government does because it's blanket and not targeted. $15 in California, one, they've, they're already phasing that in. So right. like California is already on that bandwagon. That might be the right market rate in the San Francisco Bay Area labor market. Right. $15 an hour in a suburb in some rural part of Oklahoma is com- it's a completely different standard of living. It's a com- or not standard, well, standard and costs, a completely mm-hmm. different cost of living is what I'm trying to get at. And $15 there could be the equivalent of $35 or more in California, right? Mm-hmm. So like a blanket ban or a blanket um minimum wage that doesn't take into consideration the diversity of our different communities. And just the the cost of living and mm-hmm. the price of these of labor and of of other goods and services, it's it's just it, it's like juvenile in my mind. It and doesn't make any sense. And it's like we had mentioned a couple of weeks ago. It's the same idea with like blanketed federal laws, like trying to apply something to fifty different states proves inefficient and difficult right and that's why we love federalism because the states get to make those mm-hmm. decisions right. like montana is right. making the decision to open business businesses longer and like remove top-down mask mandates still calling for responsibility still mm-hmm. calling for respect and like safety and allowing different counties to make those exactly. decisions, right yeah because like yeah and i think that is but great. so totally. so we're opening like, that up i think what you guys are speaking to is like we're for the people who uh, worship at the feet of Norway and Sweden for how great their <laughs> worlds look, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's because they're the size of like two of our states. They're <laughs> and they're in a yeah, and it's a homogenous, homogenous community, community in, in yeah. like roughly the yeah. same kind of climate, roughly the same kind of even terrain. Like you're looking at a country that can get away with that because they kind of are able to say the vast majority of our people will benefit from something that we do on the government level. Whereas exactly like at DC telling Montana and Rhode Island exactly how to, it's like, we don't have the Atlantic Mm -hmm. ocean. What does Montana have to do with anything that Rhode Island is being told? You know, like Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, that's a really good point. Just a little, I don't know. Another, bit of information that has recently come out from the Congressional Budget Office that I think is important and worth listening to. Their estimate is that a that phasing in a federal $15 minimum wage by 2025 would lift 900,000 Americans out of poverty over the mm-hmm. next four years. So there's the benefit. But it would come at the cost of putting 1.4 million other Americans out of work. So there would be certainly there would be certain individuals who, like Torna was saying, who their product productivity is worth that fifteen dollars, and mm-hmm. they 
are able to keep their jobs or they're hired at that pay level. But then there would be millions more who are fired, never hired at all. They're underemployed or, you know, they're replaced by a robot. Which has already happened in places that 15 has been tried. Like, look at Seattle McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Like, the McDonald's implemented the new, like, contactless iPad ordering in the lobby. Mm Mm-hmm. When oh, wow. when fifteen dollars started rolling out in Seattle, and then McDonald's was like, "Hey, we could put this in. Oh, this works we could put really this great. In literally we'll every store. So now they're popping up in Montana, <laughs> McDonald's, and it's like, oh well, I, yeah, <laughs> like they saw it work yeah, somewhere, totally. so they implemented somewhere else because it makes, it, you know, it serves their bottom line for us to order mm-hmm. on an iPad instead of tell a person who hardly knows how to hunt and peck for the same buttons, you know." Right, exactly. Yeah. It's hard, And though. I think the difference in thinking is, like, can co- sort of be devolved down to, like, there's just a, well, from my perspective, there's a misconception of of business and of economics and of how it works. Mm-hmm. And there isn't, you know, benevolent business owners and then greedy, evil, selfish business owners. Like, there's just people who own a business who have to make sure that their revenues exceed their costs. Otherwise they can't operate. And like, that's right. just a fact. That's just a reality that they face. And when you make labor too expensive, they can't afford it. It's true. And the people right. who miss out are low skilled workers. That's the other thing. It's like, you know, folks that are already high skill or specialized or, you know, making above that pay grade, they won't be impacted by this. The low-skilled workers who aren't making a lot of money are the ones who will likely be pushed out of the labor market because mm-hmm. of this. So, you know, it's intended to help them, and it actually will hurt those mm-hmm. people. It's hard, to me, it's hard for me to hear some of these and not hear echoes of our last episode uh, over, the, over the, the COVID relief and $15 minimum wage. Because, like, Torna, you were talking mm-hmm. about valuing our money enough to know where it goes and being able to make an account for it. And some states do that. Like Montana operates with a balanced budget. We still carry debt, but we have a balanced budget. Mm-hmm. As far right. as I understand it, I think we have a some state debt. But like we talked about on about modern monetary theory last week, it's like maybe the government doesn't have to play by the household rules of holding a budget because a household can't just like can't make their own currency. I I don't mm-hmm. I don't mean to rehash everything we did last episode, but like we've mentioned specific things where I'm like, oh yeah, that kind of comes up in MMT, and they at least have something to say about it. Like regardless of correct, re, and know, that's and that's that's something that I probably should have brought up. I mean, it's true. We're we're, we're in new territory. At least Kat and I right now are just Kat and I are discussing from a perspective that rejects what is MMT. Mm-hmm. Totally, and. I'm just weary of any thing that so conveniently brushes your problems away. Mm-hmm. Like MMT just pops up and it's like, you know what? All these things we're facing, hardships, budget issues, like none of it actually matters because this convenient thing. Well, I I don't think we can say it's popped solution. up. Like we even addressed how it, this was part of Keynesian. No, theory, true. Right? I mean, as early as like the yeah, 30s, right. you know, things like that. And even earlier than that. Which but, came yeah. up um, like... Keynes was doing his theorizing, trying to figure mm-hmm. out, like, what the fuck just happened with the Great Depression? Like, what happened, what went wrong, and, like, what might we mm-hmm. be able to say about the future? 
So if, if we're using that as a baseline, 1920, 1930, like in the history of economics, which is arguably thousands of years, right? Mm-hmm. Of course it is. When humans cooperate, economics just kind of rises sure. yeah. from our cooperation, right? That's how markets work. Even bartering, that's a marketplace. They're natural. Correct. They're a natural state. Correct. Yep. So, right. yep. but if the baseline is like Keynesian theory, like it might sound crazy, like, and maybe we say it popped up in the 20s and 30s. It was in And now we call it modern monetary theory. But like, it certainly seems like we're in new territory and at least like taking new theories seriously is worth it. But at the same time, I I can hear myself say that and be like, yeah, but we have thousands of years of proving or at least exercising economics in this way that worked until then. So Mm -hmm. maybe uh, almost the corollary is like, maybe it was a freak and not like a trajectory toward like economic climate change, you know? Sure. (laughs) And, and, you know, thinking about that, you know, just going back to MMT, you know, if we're trying to explore that more and, and see if that's something viable, I think even if MMT is a legitimate and viable means of addressing issues, I still think it's important to make sure that the resources that you're using are being used efficiently. And we we de- we definitely agree there, but when we when when you brought yes. that up I was like, dang, like last episode we kind of mentioned that other people think differently. And that's all I wanted to highlight, Correct. right? Correct. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I think the MMT theory that might apply to sort of the the general like spending on on COVID relief and not having to worry about the long term. Mm-hmm depression of of gdp and the impact that has because according to that theory like that doesn't happen and there is no consequence for the spending but it doesn't that theory doesn't play into a 15 dollar federal minimum wage increasing the cost of labor and the consequences of that like that's separate right that's true i can see that too yes absolutely Mm -hmm. it kind of blows my mind and maybe maybe it's just because i'm a classical liberal and studied economics but like i don't really understand how anybody doesn't see the dangers of that i I, you know I, i don't see how like labor unions could rally behind that and not recognize the threat of it and even bernie sanders came out and said like well we probably shouldn't implement it fully right now given the state of the economy and you which know, to be fair then and, and the plan the plan is to phase correct. it in but and like some people are even saying yeah. 11 or 12 is the is the cap and not 15 right so like yeah joe manchin is, of west that virginia is trying to say yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let's not go that far. But again, it's like, okay, well, Joe Manchin, if $11 makes sense for West Virginia, then like, do that in your state if mm. you think that's When's important. the last time the federal... Why make it a federal policy? When's the last time federal minimum rose? Do you remember? It's been decades. I don't mm-hmm. remember the exact date, but it's been a good chunk of time. Let me look yeah. it up. Um, Federal minimum wage was raised... On July twenty fourth of two thousand nine, when it rose from six fifty five to seven twenty five, a decade. Oh, a decade. There you go. <laughs> yeah, give us twelve years. Which, again, m- like, 
be worried about it or not. It might be it might be coming out of the Great Recession 2008 2009. It's like you bump it up a little bit. But going 725 to 15 feels pretty bonkers to me. Even like yeah. Like if the conversation was let's raise the federal minimum to like 8 and be like, "Ah, oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. cool." <laughs> right on. Right. Sounds good to me, but yeah, I agree. I think the the top down the blanket telling every state with wildly different economies and every state with wildly different resources and like imports and exports just interstate it does feel goofed i agree yes and it it would be interesting to see yeah how that you know ends up actually playing out it will be interesting to see and it'll be interesting to see you know how that actually benefits people you know cuz th- doubling your pay is crazy i mean it's substantial well, and then you have to think, like, what about the people who, like, say you work for a company and the lowest earner is earning $5 an hour and you're earning $15 an hour and you've worked there longer and have more experience and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden that person with less experience and less skill is making the same amount of money as you. What are you going to do? You're probably going to argue and push and demand well, a higher raise. Well, no, what's probably going to happen is realistically the less skilled person won't have a job. Well, right. But and, and the sad thing is, is the person that probably was skilled in experience will maintain making $15 an hour and maybe not give be given the opportunity to make more. Yeah. Um, to deal with with increases and things like that. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, the, the argument I've seen, the counter argument seems to be fairly consistently like if a business can't afford to pay someone $15 an hour, they don't deserve to be a business. Mm, that's a way to say that, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <I'm intending. laughs> And Might be a little biased to the way you're presenting the argument. Well, fair it's, enough. It's a, and, and I do, I do understand like valuing your employees because there is having good employees. They're they're worth their weight in gold. I tend to have a pretty. I hope to have employees someday, and I hope to compensate them extremely well. However, my goal would be to compensate them below market value to begin with and offer them a very quick and substantial increase in what they can make depending on how much of an asset they are right. to my business. Yeah, that's that's definitely how I plan and that's, to And that's where ethical yeah, business totally. ownership Because they're gaining in, a right? lot like, more than a paycheck in their first few months of working for you. They're gaining so much education and so much expertise just by like standing next to you, right? Like by osmosis, they're learning which, so much. Which empowers them to earn Use more, those skills mm-hmm. later, right? right? That experience. So here here is a prime example, and this is me when I became an independent contractor and came into the market. I had some skill with carpentry and painting, but I knew that I was out of practice and lacking compared to peers that were in the industry and just truly evaluating my worth. I was given an opportunity to work for somebody 
that I had never met before at 30 an hour. I knew that I was not worth 30 an hour. I could have taken the job, made the money, and then probably lost the connection. I instead contacted him. I don't think he listens to the podcast, but Jonathan Haynes, I love you, man. (laughs) I approached him. I said, hey, I really want to do this. I need to learn. Strike a deal with me. Pay me half of that, $15 an hour. If you will be patient with me, teach me what you know. I promise within a month, I will be worth more than 15 Within a month, I was worth more than 15 but I still do not think I was worth $30. I continued working with him, and every time that I thought that I was worth more, I approached him and asked for more money, and he always paid me more money. Like, that is such a good, and again, this is just personal responsibility, but like that is a really good way to do it. And so like offer, and again, ethical business ownership, like offer people ways to grow and reward them for their growth. And that's why I'm so, I want to have employees someday. You, you would be a great employer. And I think something to point out in that story is if he wasn't a wonderful man Mm -hmm. and he decided, Oh, you saved me from spending too much money on you. And I'm actually going to pay even less Mm -hmm. than what you're asking. You could go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Nobody, nobody's being forced to work for an employer who takes advantage of their employees. Like mm. that, that's the beauty of free markets. Competition mm-hmm. is what drives the prices of goods down for consumers, and it's what drives the wages higher for employees. Like mm-hmm. people have the option to choose and to move and to take their their take their money if they're a consumer or take their labor elsewhere if they want to Mm -hmm. and that's what drives ethical business practices because the employers who are not ethical eventually aren't in business anymore if you have an actual free market with like a base foundation of rule of law and of course that's a big if because there's all sorts of crony capitalism and government intervention that can come up the works right two things to to bounce off of that idea one going back to my situation i was in that situation specifically because i have my own business i'm an independent right i am not someone's employee i am my own boss i market my skill i bid stuff out i know what i'm worth and you can take it or leave it right that's why I can encourage so many people to go and do something on their own. I understand, you know, in quote, job security is important and things like that. If there's a way to go out on your own, I think that's super valuable. That ties into my second point, considering like work unions and things like that. I think a lot of union workers are honestly exploited by the unions in that they think that the union is fighting for them. Say they're like, okay, we want union. I don't know what union wages are right now for, say, like a construction worker. But say they're like, we're fighting for our employees and we want to make sure that you make $25 an hour. And they're making twenty two fifty or whatever right now. And they're like, hell yeah, $25 an hour. And, and they let some union leader figure be their, you know, master and give them a $25 an hour wage. 
And I honestly think that in most cases, unions are underselling what some in the union are capable of. And if those same people were to get out on the, the, the more motivated people to get out on their own, ditch the union, put in the work, the effort, they would be making double that, three times that, four times that. And it's this misunderstanding that like you're not capable of that. A very wise professor of mine once said that the enemy of unions are non-union members. Mm -hmm. That's who the real threat is to unions for the very point that you just explained. Well, damn, fam. I'm going to listen to the last five minutes on Saturday when we when this releases and be like, I'm going to feel as pa- empowered as fuck. Torna, you... Your story, <laughs> your story was so good. I'm ready to raise a glass to that, fam. I think so. I think this is I a beautiful way to end. Mm-hmm. You, you are capable of so much. Fight for what your worth is. You know, if you think you're worth more, talk to your employer. Ask for a raise. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on the Whiskey Bench. If you would do us a favor please tell a friend about the show in person with a text or by sharing about it on social media. You can join us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest all at whiskey bench pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Remember always drink responsibly and cheers to a fulfilled life with all its beauty. Thank you.